0: And if you have your Bibles,
1: you can
0: turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you don't have one or don't have a Passion Version, that's where I'm going to start out in. doesn't mean I'm going to stay there, but 1 2 Corinthians chapter 5 i will be in the Passion Version. So if you have a Bible out, you can open the Bible out, type in TPT Passion Version, um, and I'll be in chapter 5 of that. Again, just going deeper. Every week, we're just diving in, right? Uh, Building upon what we've already talked about, building upon, uh, precept upon, precept, word upon word, line upon line. Just really just taking us to a deeper way uh, of understanding who He is, who we are uh, in Him. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Last week, our main passage that we started out with was 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, so this is just taking us deeper in what Paul was already talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So it's just taking us even deeper, two chapters over, um, and we're in verse 17. He starts out right here saying, now if anyone... Who? Anyone. <laughs> now if anyone... No, that's only the people who've been good enough. No, anybody means anybody, Right? Anyone, if anyone is enfolded, think about that. You ever think about dough and how they enfold and just work it back and forth, right? Just working it, working it, and it's creating something fresh, something nice, an aroma. Then they stick that thing in the oven and it really does a good job, right? But they're enfolding it into it until what? It just disappears, right? You see a big thing of dough there. It didn't just start out with dough, there was some flour there, maybe in some milk, maybe some yeast, maybe some water, maybe some oil, maybe some salt, maybe some, and all that. You can't decipher which is which anymore. Why? It's been enfolded into it, right? So he says if anyone has been enfolded into Christ, meaning you are in him and he is in you so much so you can't tell the difference between either one. He has become an entirely new person. He's brand new. All that is related to everything, wait, all that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. But you don't know my path. It's brand new. But you don't know what I, I, it's brand new. But you don't know my tenant it's brand new. You don't know the, the curse has been brought down from generation to generation in my life. It's brand new. It's brand new. And God has made all things new. How how many? Now, what is the the verb form there before we get to made? There's a helping verb there. What is that? Has. What is that? Is that present or past or future tense? Right now. Yeah, it's past and, and it's established right now, right? It's already done and established for right now, right? So, what has been made new at this point? How many? That's a new perspective, isn't it? -hmm. You should start looking at people a little differently. They may not have come into reality of it yet. They may not even know it yet. But he's already made them brand new and reconciled us to himself and given us. So he reconciled them back to himself. Where was Christ? I mean, where was God on the cross, it says? He was in Christ reconciling the whole cosmos back to him, it says. The whole cosmos. That word world there is cosmos, meaning the whole entire everything. All the galaxies and galaxies we ain't even discovered yet, all of them. He was in Christ reconciling the whole cosmos back into himself, reconciling him back to himself, and giving us this same ministry of reconciling others to God. So what does that mean? It is our job to do that, to let the world know, hey, this has been done. It's already established for you. Come experience this. Come taste and see, right? In other words, it was through the anointed one that God was shepherding The whole world. Not even keeping records of their transgressions. Who was? We were. And he has entrusted to us the ministry. Listen to this word. The ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. So in other words, I might be dusting on the street. He has no clue whatsoever that he has been reconciled to God. In fact, his whole entire past makes him think, God hates me, God does not like me, and if there was a God, I don't want to know him because he sure ain't been good to me. But it says it's my job to come along and open his eyes to what has already taken place. His perception is wrong. But he has asked me to give him a new pair of glasses. Does that make sense? That's the ministry we have. We are, verse 20, ambassadors of the anointed one who carry the message of Christ to the world. As though God were, were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. Now did it say... As God was calling us to condemn everybody and tell them they're worthless and they all about to die and burn up in hell if they don't hurry up and make a decision. No, tenderly pleading. Because here's the deal, guys. If all we're doing is trying to get them a ticket punch into heaven, all we're trying to do is change their destination. We're not trying to change the person. And he says this whole ministry is What? To let them know they're a brand new person, so that heaven comes in him and now it comes out everywhere else. I told you I'd have you as a punching bag. Good <laughs> thing you're in about week three of That's thing. exactly right. Good <laughs> thing you're building your body up. Do you see what I'm saying, though? There's a huge difference in, in getting somebody scared that if you die when you walked out of here today, Are you sure that you're 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 you're going to go to heaven? Versus Christ wants to inhabit you and change you and make you a new creation. Here's the deal. If all I bought was my ticket punch so I'm scared I don't want to go to hell and burn forever and all I did was buy and get my ticket punch, is there any real change that took place on the inside? But the gospel, the good news is that grace that has been given to me enables me to do what God has called me to do. That's a huge, big difference. Huge. Huge. We are ambassadors of this. And so God, we're tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. So we tenderly plead with you on Christ's behalf. Turn back to God. Not get your ticket punched. Turn back to God and be reconciled to Him. What does that mean? Come into a revelation to understand I am not withholding anything to you. If you think I'm withholding something or you think I'm holding something against you, you're not going to come near me. But when I open their eyes to the truth that he is not holding their trespasses against them but wants them to come into face-to-face communion with them, it opens the reality to say, hey, I can be in this relationship too. No matter my background, no matter where I've been, I get to come into this dance, this circle dance of love that he has invited me into. For God made the only one who did... What? Yes. For God... didn't. For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God through our union with Him. So what does this passage say about God? So I want to recap a little bit from last week just to get our minds refreshed, renewed. It's been a week. because I want to just kind of try to transition from that into some deeper um, talks about what we were talking about last week. But remember, we looked at Moses. Remember, Moses, uh, he's out there in the mountain, wilderness, shepherding, and all of a sudden, something's happening over here, and there's a bush burning up, right? And that bush burning up, and there is nothing happening to the bush, but it's steadily on fire. And then it says, when he turned to see... Like, hey, I got to change direction and see what's actually happening over here. Then God spoke to him. You remember that? And there's a lot of examples and a lot of potential that's going on in that message. One, we are to be set on fire and not be consumed. Right? Right? We should be a burning fire that's walking around everywhere we go, Monday through Sunday, everywhere we go, a burning, consuming fire, because God is a consuming fire, consuming everything that's not of His kind. Everything that's not of love's kind, it is being burned up. And so as it's being burned up, what remains is pure. We are pure. And so we should be that consuming fire. The next thing we looked at was that he turned and looked. And whenever he looked, Hebrews says, when one turns to the Lord, the bell is lifted. And when the bell is lifted, you see face to face. We looked at many times he saw face to face with God. But this one instance, he said, God, if you don't go, I ain't going. He had so many face to face encounters. He said, God, if you don't go, we're not going. I'm going to send the angel. No, I don't want the angel. I want you to go because if you don't go, I ain't going. And we talked about that last week. Think about how often do we do that. God, I ain't going to work if you ain't going with me. That's how we should wake up in the morning. God, I ain't going to the grocery store if you ain't going. God, I ain't even coming to house church unless you're going with me. Not that I'm going to house church to find God. I'm taking him with me so that when we all come in this room and we're all bringing his presence in, the glory fills the room. That's what we're looking for, that's where we're at, right? And then we looked at to see his glory. He said, God, I want you to show me your glory. Show me your glory. He showed him his butt, no, I'm just kidding. he showed him his backside, <laughs> and he showed him his goodness. And whenever he showed him his goodness, the glory came, right? And so, we looked at last week the connection between glory. And goodness, recognizing the goodness of God and recognizing that glory comes with the goodness of God. The revelation of goodness brings the glory. Okay? So, I want you to think about Paul opened up with that part that we said today and he enfolded, anyone enfolded into Christ. Last week as we were praying... Um, as we were about to leave and, and leave from this place, and we were praying, and I prayed over you something like this. I said, just imagine yourself standing before an ocean, just endless ocean. You're standing at the edge, and you see the endless ocean. I said, just picture yourself putting your toe in it, right? Just kind of go a little bit, go a little bit. And as I got, let you get comfortable there, I said, now imagine me taking you To the middle of that ocean where you can't see nothing but water. And all of a sudden now you are a glass of water. And I pour you out into the middle of that ocean. Within a matter of seconds would I be able to tell the difference between you, you water, and the water that's in that ocean? It would just be part of it. Right? That's what he's talking about here. This unfolding. That's how deep this revelation is. That you are in him and he in you just as if you were a cup of water and I poured you in the middle of the ocean. You're in one. There's no separation. There's no... Se- Do you get that? There's no separation. We've been taught and thought about our whole life even when... Those of us who've been raised in church our whole life, there was still something, even though we heard messages of grace, even though we heard messages of forgiveness, there was still some part of us that when we messed up, we still thought we were separated. And that we had to do something to get back into the grace of God so that we could get back face to face. And if I could just finally get back up there, but usually most of us messed up before we got back in that position of feeling like we belonged in face to face community. And he says, there is no separation. Like, I ain't pulling that cup of water out of this ocean when you did wrong and then put you back in when you do right. You in. Okay? And so, Isaiah 66, I'm going to pass out a few few passages. Who wants Isaiah 66, 1 through 2? 2 Chronicles 5, 13 through 14. Psalms 133. Um... Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Um, first do, and then after they do First Peter 2, let's do both of those because they go together. Um, Colossians 127, y'all should have that memorized, but who wants it? I got it. And then Psalm 27. I got it. All right. So, here we go. I want you to, that picture in your mind, that cup of water being poured into the ocean or, as Paul uses the word, enfolded into Christ. I want you to think about these verses as we're thinking about this, okay? Isaiah 66, 1-2 says, This is what the Lord says.
1: Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things, and so they came into being?" declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit
0: and who tremble at my word. So what did we just sing? It's not a building you want to fill. It's my heart. This empty space is all you wanted all along. Starts out Isaiah 66 by saying what? The earth is my footstool. I'm high up in heaven. Earth is my footstool. That's how big and how vast he is. But yet he chose what? To be with us in communion. So much so, he says, you're building these buildings for me, and that's, like, I'm going to use them, because that's your perception right now, and I'm going to use those places for you, and I actually will put my glory inside those buildings, right? Isaiah starts out at the very beginning, I think it's Isaiah chapter 6, remember? And he said, and he saw the whole thing filled with the glory of the Lord, right? So... He says, I'll feel those places. I feel David's. I feel Solomon's temple. Like, I'll feel. But you got to understand what I want all along is to put my presence in you. Mm-hmm. Those who, with a holy, says, I mean, with a contrite, like, humble heart, which is what? To say, I surrender to you. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a faith, remember I said, is a place of surrendering. It's not a place of overpowering and I've got to push through, but it's a place of surrendering of who He already is and what He's already done. So he's taking us into that place and helping us to understand. Look, even an Old Testament passage here. Isaiah is an Old Testament prophet, and he's saying, "Look, I'm speaking of things to come." Right? Remember Jesus? He's right there at the well with the woman, and what's he telling her? She's wanting to know where we all gonna worship. If we all gonna worship the same place, how's that gonna happen? Because you know we don't like each
1: other.
0: And he said, "Oh." You don't, you don't have clothes. He, he said, There's a time coming, and yet is even now. Where true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth, why? Because He will be in them.
1: That's true.
0: Wherever they go. That's why we're two or more together than my name, there I am, and their midst. That's why you can have a glory explosion with two people. <laughs> you ain't got to have a house full. You see what I'm saying? That's what his desire is for us. Now look at this. Second Chronicles again, another Old Testament passage. Okay, Second Chronicles five thirteen through fourteen
1: says. The trumpeters and the musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord, accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments. The singers raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, "He is good; his love endures forever." then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud, and the priests could not perform their service because
0: of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. Alright, first off, I want to point out, it says they were offering the fruit of their lips, which was what? A praise sacrifice. A sacrifice of praise. By the way, Hebrews 13 says this is a New Testament thing, to offer a sacrifice of praise, because the Old Testament, the law required animal sacrifice. Right? But they wasn't doing it. And in fact, at the end of what he just read says they couldn't even perform their normal duties. Why? Because the glory filled so much so. So, what was the key? What was going on? First of all, they were in unity praising. Where else did we see unity before? In the New Testament. Acts 1 and 2. What are they doing? One accord. And it says it shook the house. Right? What do you like, a shaking of the house that Brent's house? Now, I know Rachel's stuff might fall off and all that kind of stuff, and we might be in trouble if something breaks. But can you imagine, right? It didn't say all of Jerusalem shook. It said the house shook. And what happened in the house had to get out of the house. You see what I'm saying? The glory filled the place, but it filled the people so much so that they had to get out and tell the message right then, right? Filled up. Filled up with the glory of the Lord. Okay, so the priests were in unity. Psalms 133, what does it say about unity, even in the Old Testament? Psalm 133.
1: No, it's 133
0: is the chapter, and it's only like a few verses. You were saying one
1: verse
0: 33 right 133 my bad <laughs> 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 All right, how truly wonderful in the of the as precious as the from the head of the start right there picture that. Even Old Testament passage, this psalm says, how good, how right it is to see brothers and sisters dwelling in unity. How good is it? It's like the oil and the fragrance coming down from heaven itself. If we came in here in agreement, just that one thing, just that one thing if we all came in here like this, God, I ain't going to Brent's house today unless you go with me. How perce- our perception of that presence, if we all came in here with that perception, there ain't no telling what would happen in this room. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Do you understand? Mm-hmm. Oh,
1: good.
0: Do you understand? Yeah. You wouldn't have to anoint that thing with oil like you did when you was a kid. And oil would probably just start flowing from it naturally. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like, there is... There is something that happens when we're coming together in unity. In fact... Jesus and John says that whenever we come together in unity and realize our unity with him and with each other, then the world will know who he really is, right? So to come into that place, right? But then I want you to notice the last part of that passage in Second Chronicles, and it's this. What happened for the glory to fall? So they, one, they were in one accord. They're praising in one accord. But what were they praising him for in one accord? His
1: goodness.
0: his goodness. goodness of the Lord and his love endures forever. And then what happened in the place? The glory filled the place and shook the place. And not only that, they, the priest couldn't even do anything else. Right? So you see some things happening in churches sometimes. And I can't tell you if those people are fake or not, but I'm telling you, there are some things that will happen to you if you get into the presence of the Lord. You may not be able to move, according to even to the Old Testament. And we are now in the New Testament, a new covenant, which is way better than the Old Covenant. So don't tell me things can't happen like that in the New Testament. Just because you ain't never experienced, just because you ain't never seen it, just because you don't understand it, don't mean it ain't good. He wants to fill you That's so right. much with himself. <laughs> so much so that when you're walking into the room, not just on Sunday, when you're walking into the room, the atmosphere literally shifts. Yes, yes. Because the glory comes off you. Bill Johnson always said, how do you say it? Um, he's in you for you, but he's on you for us. Right? So, what do you think about that? In the Old Testament, he would fill that place so much so, priests couldn't even do anything. They just, right? That's the Old Testament. Okay? If we're in this new covenant, and even in the new covenant, we've even read where the glory was so thick, right? I took a group of youth to Chattanooga, Tennessee one year. We walked from the worship service, just, it was a huge, just, just tangible presence in that worship service that night. We walked into these rooms that they had for us after the worship service, so you could kind of debrief the kids and, and anything they had to talk about from the service, and then try to challenge them for the next day. Or in that room that night, the presence was so thick, we had 30-something kids in there. They were just weeping, kids just weeping. They were weeping over their parents. So much so that many of them had to get up out of the room and go call their parents and tell them about Jesus right then. Like, I'm, I so want you to know what I've got right now. Like, they were just crying. When we walked out of that place about an hour and a half, two hours later, we couldn't even see from, from me to Tanya. The, it was like fog outside. But the cloud was that thick that you couldn't see past from me to Tanya outside. And we begin, you know, some of us jokingly <laughs> say, Well, that's your kind of boy. down here. <laughs> right? That's your kind of glory. It's going to come down. Like, just jokingly, like, or is it really just a cloud? This is that night, night before we leave. The next morning, 1030, we get to the bottom of the mountain. We're on Lookout Mountain, Tennessee. We get to the bottom of the mountain and look up. And there's still a cloud so thick you can't see the top of the mountain. No more clouds in the sky except right there on top of that mountain was a cloud of his presence. Then I knew, it wasn't no joking. (laughs) It was real. You know why? Because you had to put two and two together. You saw the results. When his glory fell, you saw the results of what happened in that place. You see what I'm saying? It caused a reaction in people. Not only that, I saw the physical manifestation of it as well. So he will fill places like that. If he wants to fill places like that so much so, think of what he wants to do with us. If you ever read stories about Azusa Street Revival back in the early 1900s, it says that the glory cloud was so thick that kids could play hide and seek in it. Think about that. (laughs) And yet he wants to fill you with so much more. Where's our perception, guys? You is what he wants to feel. You is what he wants to feel. Ephesians 2, 19 through
1: 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, hmm. built on a foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are being built together, into a dwelling
0: place for God by the Spirit. Mm. So you are being built, right? One stone after another into this temple, right? Which is the holy city coming down from Re- in Revelation. He's building you into that place, right? And so just like we just sang again this morning, it's not a building you want to feel. It's my heart. Just think about each one of those stones of glory coming in together by the Spirit. Boom, 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 right? Can you imagine? Right? Can you imagine? Remember the Tower of Babel? It says, there's no telling what they can do if we don't go down and mix their languages up. Well, imagine the tower He's building with us now in the spiritual realm. Unstoppable. That's why His rule and reign will come and rest on the earth, right? Right? Now, read this other passage, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 5, it goes right along with it to help us understand.
1: So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, mm. as you come to him a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and presence. Yeah. You yourselves are like living stones being yeah. built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to yeah. offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So you are being
0: built into this structure. You are, right? Not physically. Spiritually, you are being built together one stone of glory upon another. Right? Brent's coming in. Mama's coming, Desmond's coming, they're all coming together in this structure, right? No matter what background we are, no matter what denomination we are, if you are in him, in Christ, then he is bringing this thing together, right? So as you get that picture in your mind, bringing it together by the Spirit, what did he say in this passage right here? He opened it up by saying, if you have, what? Perceived the goodness of God. See how the goodness keeps on coming up? You have to get a good revelation of the goodness of God if you're going to experience the glory. If you're going to understand what he's trying to feel, right? Now, not a knock against buildings. We know we're not in a building. We're we've meet at Brent's house. But it's not a knock against them, right? God can use buildings too. God used that little old place. Us Baptist little boys and girls who didn't know no better filled us with the glory cloud on top of Lookout Mountain, Right? remember what I said he's not limited to our box we're the ones that put him in the box and a lot of times he'll get inside our box so he can bust our box up so he can meet us anyway and he still uses buildings he still uses people right in those buildings right but the point is he wants it to go deeper than that like let him use those buildings let him use those places let him use this house but this house is not the ultimate goal either. Right? The ultimate goal is you being transformed into His glory and into His likeness. So that you, going back to our opening passage, are now replicating that on this earth. Okay? Because what is the hope of glory? Colossians one twenty-seven. What is it? Christ in you. Whoever had Colossians one twenty-seven, they just did it for you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory. What's the hope of glory? Christ in you. So much more that he wants to do in you and through you. We've already seen it in buildings. But notice what he wants to do in you and through you. Alright? So the glory of God contains the revelation of his goodness. Right? You see how it's constantly connected? We looked at last week. Goodness and glory. Goodness and glory. It's connected every time. Now look at this. We're going to end with Psalms 27. Psalms 27. Read, read the whole thing through verse 14. And then we'll go through. Okay.
1: Yahweh is my revelation light and the source of my salvation. I fear no one. I'll never turn back and run. For you, Yahweh, surround and protect me. When evil ones come to destroy me, they will be the ones who turn back. My heart will not fear, even if an army rises to attack. I will not be shaken, even if a war is imminent. Here's the one thing I crave from Yahweh, the one thing I seek above all else. I want to live with Him every moment in His house, beholding the marvelous beauty of Yahweh, filled with awe, delighting in His glory and grace. I want to contemplate in His temple, in the day of trouble, he will treasure me in his shelter under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock out of reach from all my enemies who surround me. Triumph now, I'll bring him offerings of praise, singing and shouting with its sad joy. Yes, I will sing praises to Yahweh. Hear my cry, show me mercy, and send the help I need. I hear your voice in my heart say, come, seek my face. My inner being responded, Yahweh, I'm seeking your face with all my heart. Mm. So don't turn your face away from me. You're the God of my salvation. How can you reject your servant in anger? You've been my only hope, so don't forsake me now when I need you. My father and mother abandoned me, but you, Yahweh, took me in and made me yours. Mm. Now teach me, Mm. Yahweh, all about your ways and tell me what to do. Make it clear for me to understand, for I am surrounded by waiting enemies. Don't let them defeat me, Lord. You can't let me fall into their clutches. They keep accusing me of things I've never done, breathing out violence against me. Yet I believe with all my heart that I will see see again your goodness, Yahweh, in the land of life eternal. Here's what I've learned through it all. Don't give up. Don't be impatient. Be entwined as one with the Lord. Be brave and courageous and never lose hope. Yes. Keep on waiting,
0: for he will never disappoint you. So, verses 1 through 3, we're just going to kind of break this down real quick. Verses 1 through 3, the very beginning is like an introductory. And he's talking about his absolute trust in God, that there is nobody else he wants to place his trust in, right? So, you could use this psalm basically as a way of life, right? As how do I get my strength? How do I view things in life? And he starts off these first three verses by saying, this is my absolute trust in God. This is how I start off everything. Even though, notice how he went through some of those things. Even though there are some tough times. Even some things I don't understand. Even when people ridicule me. Even when people backstab me. I'm still going to trust who? Absolute trust in God. Verses 4-6 through is the supreme value for his presence. Right. There is nothing that I want more. Nothing that I desire. Nothing else that I seek that I may dwell, be in face-to-face communion with Him. Right. As Desmond was talking about the I single. Right. The single I saying it is about His presence more than anything. It's about it's about a right relationship more than it is about being right. So, it's about that number one thing of being in his presence. Verse 7 through 10, his own devotion to obedience. Did you notice that? How obedient. Like, I will still do. Even when I don't understand, I'm still going to obey. Right? But he ends it like this this is the unveiling of his personal secret to strength. Verses 11 through 14, which was what? Where did he get his strength from? that I believed that I would see the what of the Lord? Goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. His hope was set, even though his circumstances didn't always show it, his hope was set that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In the land of the living. You see how important it is To believe and know that he is good. So let's just close our eyes again. I just want to picture that place one more time like we did last week. You are that cup of water. Picture that in your mind. You are that cup of water. Being poured into a never ending ocean a never ending ocean and that's how close he is to you and you are to him you are in him and he is in you Separation. No separation between you and the Father. No separation. What is your hope set on? Is your hope that you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? We're talking about the goodness, the glory. Not that he just does what you want him to. Not that he's some genie in the Bible and say, poof, what do you need? Poof, what do you need? No, so much more. To realize the God of the universe wants to inhabit and live in you and through you. Be so intertwined in you. Consuming you. Remember the bush? You are the bush. You're on fire. Because he is a consuming fire that lives inside of you. And he wants to take you into your workplace. relationships bad relationships are good relationships he wants to enter into all those and to make them beautiful is it your desire to know him is it your desire that you experience the glory of God Those things I just talked about. Have you ever experienced something like that? In the Old Testament, they did. And yet you live in a better covenant. Is it that you don't want to experience it? Or do you believe it doesn't exist? Jesus looks at the the man at the pool. And says, what do you want? Do you want to be healed? So he stands this morning and asks, do you want... To know the glory of God. Do you want to be in face-to-face communion? Do you believe you can? It's a simple turning. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turning your eyes upon the finished work. Upon his goodness. His goodness that says, I keep no record of your wrongs. The goodness that says, I am in you and you in me. The goodness that says, there is no separation between us. The goodness that says, I've never been far away. I've been right here the whole time. You begin to walk in the goodness of God, the glory of God will come. Glory of God will
1: come.
0: For it. it is the glory of God that contains the revelation of His goodness. So when you turn your perception to the goodness of God, your perception is changed and the glory is present. Can we just take communion. Jesus, knowing that it was your body, so we eat your body. To be one with you. Your body that was broken for us. Mended us. Your body that was broken for us. Mended us. I just want you to picture that. His body that was broken for you. Mended you. Notice he was pierced. For your transgressions. Bruised for your iniquities. What is that? He was pierced for your transgressions, blood on the outside, your outside sins, your outside things that turned toward him, turned away from him. But he was bruised for your iniquities. That's blood on the inside. Bruising is a blood on the inside. So the blood is on the outside and on the inside to heal your wound on the inside as well. So you're t- consuming the body, not just for the ways that we've turned against him on the outside. But the turmoil that's within, that our perception becomes new. And so, Father, we receive it. Let me take your blood and consume your blood. Your blood that was poured out, your blood that was on the outside and on the inside, making us completely brand new. We receive it. Father I just speak blessings over these people that this week their eyes are brand new open to new realities new thoughts about you as we stated last week if it's too good to be true start there start there for your ways are higher than our ways your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So speed our thoughts up to yours. Help us to see. See your goodness in the land of the living. And let your glory fall. Amen. Y'all be blessed this week. Love you guys. Thanks for coming.